Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Strange Planet. And in the coming days, this program will also be available on my Rumble channel. That's Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Medical sociologist Robert E. Bartholomew, Ph.D., is here for the full two hours to talk about such topics as the sonic wave attacks in Cuba, a.k.a. Havana, although they're now taking part in other parts of the world, most recently in Vietnam, apparently. Word comes that the latest report of a Havana syndrome incident has disrupted Vice President Kamala Harris's state visit to Vietnam. We'll also talk with Robert about conspiracy theories, bizarre behaviors, mass hysteria, and ghosts and hauntings. Incidentally, Robert was the first scientist to publish an analysis of the attacks of U.S. and or on U.S. and Canadian embassy personnel in Cuba starting in 2016. And he's concluded, wait for it, this is not going to be popular with my audience, I'll tell you right now. But there's no way to sugarcoat it. Robert Bartholomew concludes the Havana syndrome is the result of a mass psychogenic illness or a kind of mass hysteria. We'll also discuss with Robert another strange case. He says also the result of mass psychogenic illness or mass hysteria. It involved 24 students at two high schools in northeastern Massachusetts, where back in 2012, they began to exhibit mysterious hiccuping sounds over a several month period. And the state health department there investigated and Robert believes they covered up their conclusions that it was indeed a psychogenic illness. He'll uh, detail the bizarre case history of a male teenager who thought he was a cat and acted out a series of feline behaviors. The case was documented in Harvard Medical School's Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease. And time permitting, Robert will also touch on his uh, interest in ghosts, commenting uh, perhaps that there may be some genuine phenomenon taking place here. But it remains uncertain as to whether people are actually seeing the spirits of the deceased. Dr. Robert Bartholomew is a sociologist who studies topics on the margins of science, such as UFOs, Bigfoot, lake monsters. He's also published widely on mass hysteria and social panics, including a recent groundbreaking study in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine on how social media is spreading mass psychogenic illness. He teaches history at Botany College in Auckland, New Zealand, and he's the author of a number of books, including Exotic Deviants, Hoax, Myths, and Manias, Little Green Men, Meowing Nuns, and Headhunting Panics, a study of mass psychogenic illnesses and social delusions, UFOs and Alien Contact, Two Centuries of Mystery, Mass Hysteria in Schools, The Untold Story of Champ, a social history of America's Loch Ness Monster, 
American Hauntings, the true stories behind Hollywood's scariest movies, The Martians Have Landed, a history of media-driven panics and hoaxes, and the latest, Havana Syndrome. Robert Bartholomew, welcome to the program. How are you? Honestly, I've been quite sick for the last week, but I'm uh, just starting to uh, take a turn for the better. I took a COVID test and it came back negative, so that's good. And if I do cough occasionally, um, just excuse me, but uh, I think I'll be fine. All right. So you're all the way over there in New Zealand. How are things there vis-a-vis um, uh, lockdowns and so forth? Well, we're all locked down now. And I think, you know, New Zealand's done a great job of keeping COVID out, but you just needed one case and they got one case and now they got 500 and some odd cases. And I just don't think they're going to keep it out now. I think they're going to have to vaccinate 70, 80% and then open everything up. Otherwise, you, you can't stay in lockdown forever. There was a, an interesting thing in the news where the health department believes a woman, they didn't give her age, died from the vaccine from myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart right. muscle, which is known to be a side effect. And uh, they also said that she had other conditions as well. I just think statistically... You know, I've had one shot already. I'm going to get the other shot, and the odds are in my favor. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, well, thank God it's it's not Corona and uh, the coronavirus, and that you're uh, you're on the mend. We appreciate you joining us tonight. So, as I mentioned, this analysis that you have done of what is now being called Havana syndrome, not necessarily going to be popular with some of my audience. And I'll tell you why, because uh, one of the things we talk about on this program and things like mind control, MK ultra, I've had a number of people on this program that allege that they are targeted individuals, TIs, uh, that they are being targeted for some sort of electronic harassment or torture. I even participated in a TV pilot for a series called the United States of Paranoia about this very subject. And so a lot of people, when they started hearing back in 2016, the autumn of 2016, about members of the U.S. mission in Cuba, and then later, I guess about a year later in 2017, some Canadian members in the embassy there developing symptoms of dizziness and ear pain and tinnitus and uh, maybe some cognitive effects, the decline in the cognitive abilities and so forth. A lot of people, maybe part of myself too, thinking, wow, are the communists in Cuba using some sort of microwave weapon? Are they targeting these people for whatever purpose? Now, along comes your analysis. I'll let you take it from there. First of all, when you first heard about this, what went through your mind when you started hearing about these symptoms back in 2016 among the, uh, the diplomats in Cuba? What was going through your mind? It's real. I had no reason to doubt that it wasn't happening. I just assumed it was happening like, like most other people. And then I started to do research on the various topics that are involved there. And a professor at UCLA Medical Center got in touch with me and he said, oh, he was involved in reviewing the first Journal of the American Medical Association study in 2018 that looked at the patients. And um, he was stunned because he rejected the article, and they overrid his rejection, and they didn't even change some of the comments. Uh, he just couldn't believe it. And the reason they had contacted him is because he had created uh, several of the 
tests that were being used in the study. I mean, he's a, he's a giant figure in the field, Professor Robert Ballo. And um, so we started digging more and more into this. And things were, you know, we're creating the case and it's looking to us like it's most likely mass psychogenic illness. And then a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist in Cuba, Tim Golden, Sebastian Rotella as well. They did a number of interviews, several dozen interviews there. They got a hold of documents. And they were able to track down patient zero and show how this first happened and spread. And when we saw that, it's like, that's the missing piece right there. You just push that right in there and it all makes sense. And it really does all make sense. It just, it's a classic setup. So just back up before you arrived at this conclusion and when you thought this is real, this is happening, were you thinking along the same lines that these might be targeted individuals? Because the technology exists, right? Microwave weapons, voice to skull technology. I mean, that wasn't involved in this particular case, but that's another. I mean, it is possible to target someone remotely and cause them you know, great discomfort, disrupt their sleep. All of these things are possible. Were you thinking along those lines that these are targeted individuals, that there may be some sort of technology involved here? Well, there might be some type of technology because I was ignorant on the literature on pulse microwave radiation right. and uh, sonic weapons. But, you know, in cases like this, when there's so much ambiguity, what you have to do, like a detective, you stick to what you know for sure. You follow the facts. And when you follow the facts, for example, there have been at least 15 separate incidents where diplomats in Cuba were reporting being attacked and hearing strange sounds. And they had been asked to record those sounds. The FBI, the State Department, and the University of California has done an analysis of some of these recordings. The, the, of those 15 recordings, they have turned out to be the mating call of the Indies short-tailed cricket, which was one of the loudest crickets in the world, the Jamaican field cricket, and the Caribbean cicada. Now, initially, when the University of California study on that came out and said it's the Indies short-tailed cricket, people were like, whoa, there are no Indies short-tailed crickets in the Havana area. Well, at about the same time, a graduate student at one of the universities there found some and Turns out they're much more widely spread there because they don't, you know, they got a lot of things going on in Cuba and they just don't go around, you know, uh, analyzing cricket sounds all the time. Right. But they have priority. Crickets <laughs> and they're there. So this was the sound that embassy staff, both Canadians and Americans, reported hearing that kind of precipitated these symptoms of dizziness. So first they heard what you're saying are crickets, then the dizziness and the nausea the cognitive disruption, all of these effects happened after they heard what, in fact, were crickets, you're saying? Well, not exactly. It would depend on the situation. Sometimes they would be sitting there, they'd be fine. And then they feel unwell. And because they were told to be on the lookout for unusual sounds, if you have an unusual health incident, now they're listening for unusual sounds. I guarantee most of your listeners, or at least many, if you are feeling unwell right now and think you're being targeted, you'll probably hear an unusual sound, right? 
It's just the way the human condition works. The other interesting thing is when they had the Senate committee hearing with Marco Rubio in 2018 on this, Dr. Charles Rosenfarb for the State Department was asked about the sounds and people feeling sick. And he made a comment, which I just thought to myself, I can't believe he just said that. And he goes, well, when did the people start hearing the sound and then having the symptoms? He said, well, up to an hour, up to an hour. So you have an unusual health incident and up to an hour, you, you hear an unusual sound. Well, I, I will hear an unusual sound in the next hour if I'm really listening for it. It's just so ambiguous and so vague. I mean, if you look at the symptoms, headache, dizziness, fatigue, uh, memory problems, mental fatigue, mental fog, disorientation, confusion, uh, difficulty focusing, trouble sleeping, ear pain. There's an old saying, speak of the devil and he's bound to appear. This is a classic setup for mass psychogenic illness. But what has fooled everyone, which has gotten people off the track, is they hear these reports of brain damage, white matter tract changes, hearing loss, concussion-like symptoms. Right, right. They hear that and they think, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That's certainly not mass psychogenic illness or mass hysteria, but that is absolutely not what happened. Uh Aha. Because we're hearing also about lesions in the inner ear and these sorts of things. You're saying that didn't happen. All right. So walk us through it. Well, the studies that have been done are just very, very ambiguous. For example, the white matter tract changes. In December of 2017, the JAMA researchers, Journal of the American Medical Association, one of the top medical jurors in the world, were doing their study on a number of Havana syndrome patients. And in the course of doing that study, before the study was published, they leaked information to the Associated Press that the doctors examining the the cohort of embassy patients had found these significant white matter tract changes in their brains. And then news outlets around the country had all these headlines about mysterious brain anomalies found in Cuban embassy victims. There's all kinds of speculation. And that went on for about a year until February of 2018, when the Journal of the American Medical Association, there's all this speculation that went on and on and on. And then finally, the Journal of the American Medical Association published their study, and they reported that they found three cases out of 21 patients who had white matter tract changes. Of those three patients, Two were mild cases, and one was moderate. If you walk onto the streets today and you randomly pick out 21 people, you will have a very similar finding because white matter tract changes, they're very ambiguous. They're very common in everything from migraine to depression to normal aging. Uh, But the problem is you had these speculative media stories leading up to the publication of the study that created this widespread public perception that patients had abnormal white matter tract changes when the number of patients with white matter tract changes in that cohort was stone cold normal. And then they, you see these claims of brain damage. Right. 
That's in reference to the 2019 JAMA study. And look, JAMA is a fantastic journal. It's one of the top medical journals in the world. But these people are not infallible. Just like the U.S. State Department and the U.S. intelligence community is very intelligent, works very hard, has a lot of experts, and they sure got Afghanistan wrong. So you no get this kidding. 2019 study in JAMA, which says there are all these brain anomalies they found in the embassy diplomats. Now, this you got to look at the context here. The 2018 study got lambasted. They were ripped to shreds by a number of major academics. So they came out in 2019 with a study saying there's all these brain anomalies. And I look at that, and initially it looks like, oh, yeah, there's all these brain anomalies. But look at it closer, and it fades away. Because the MRIs that they used in that study are so advanced, they almost never used them in medicine per se, only in abstract medical research, because about they have to be analyzed through complex computer models, which are up to 70% inaccurate. It's very experimental. So when you look at this, the bottom line is, in this study, in the discussion section, they said something to the effect of, and I'm going to paraphrase it, the brain anomalies were not so significant that they could not have been potentially caused by individual variation. Well, then they're not that significant. There are anomalies, but it's common to have brain anomalies. If you look in science, you can find anomalies in just about anything. And any group, you pick out any group of 20, 30 people, you'll find some kind of anomaly. But how significant were these anomalies? Not very significant. And those same anomalies can be caused by exposure to long-term stress. So we believe that the neurologists have mistranslated the results in mistaken stress-induced temporary brain anomalies with actual brain anomalies, with actual brain damage. There's a difference between brain damage and brain anomalies. Understood. We're just coming up on a break here, Robert. My guest, Robert Bartholomew, medical sociologist and uh, author of the latest is Havana Syndrome. Basically, uh, he says this is not a case of mind control or targeted individuals or some technology being directed at U.S. and Canadian embassy staff in Havana or other places around the world. This is a textbook case of mass hysteria. Also significant, you say, and we'll get into this after the break here, that none of these incidents occurred in the actual embassies. They took place in hotel rooms or in individuals' uh, homes. So we'll, uh, we'll address that as well when we come back. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with medical sociologist, author Robert E. Bartholomew, Ph.D., here for the full two hours, the author of Havana Syndrome, Mass Hysteria in Schools, Hoaxes, Myths, and Manias, uh, Little Green Men, Meowing Nuns, and Headhunting Panics. I love that one. A study of mass psychogenic illnesses and social delusion. So back to the Havana Syndrome. You said it's also significant that 
in these cases among U.S. and Canadian staff at these embassies, none of them took place in an embassy. They were all individual hotel rooms or houses. Why is that significant? Well, if it was in one particular building, you could really do a, a deep dive around that. But these are all over the place. And now you've got cases that are being reported uh, all over the world. Uh, Australia, Uzbekistan, Colombia and South America, Poland, Taiwan, uh, Vietnam recently with Kamala Harris, Russia, Germany. It just seems like it's everywhere now. And to understand that, what's really going on there, like why is it spreading? Well, it's no surprise to me that it's spreading. I predicted years ago that this was going to spread right after the State Department warned all of their diplomats and intelligence officers around the world to be on the lookout for unusual health incidents accompanied by strange sounds. It's the perfect global experiment for mass psychogenic illness. Now, anyone at any of our embassies anywhere in the world, diplomats and intelligence officers, who has had a health incident Now they're suddenly hyper aware of any sounds in their vicinity, and that's seen as a possible evidence for an energy weapon attack. It's almost comical, yet the American government has spent millions of dollars on this investigating. And look, there's a reason why they haven't found anything conclusive. The reason? There is nothing conclusive. Well, there's been a lot of poor journalism, poor science. And if you look recently, the National Academy of Sciences, the premier scientific organization in the U.S., was asked to look at this. And I thought, well, good. They're finally going to look at our evidence because we had published the only book on the subject. And I've done a number of studies on it. And the study finally came out. And when it came out, they said, essentially... Well, you'll see reporting saying they said it was most likely pulse, microwave radiation. That's not exactly what they said. They said they weren't sure of what was going on. But a plausible explanation uh, that's not proven is some kind of microwave radiation. Uh, And the reason it's not proven, because they can't understand how it would really have worked. The second main hypothesis they looked at was mass psychogenic illness. And they said that that was a legitimate hypothesis, but they could not assess it. And the reason they couldn't assess it was because there was no epidemiological evidence about the spread. And when I saw that report, the report was about 76 pages long. It mentioned my research as an expert on mass psychogenic illness, I think 11 times. They were very familiar with my studies, except one study which was our book that had come out eight months earlier. They ignored the existence of our book. And I just find that, at the very least, scientific incompetence. One wonders uh, what was going on there, because if they would have looked at our book, they would have found very clearly the early epidemiological spread, which is how patient zero and how it spread. It all started in a small unit of CIA officers in Havana in late 2016. And for weeks, they had been hearing mysterious sounds. Then one day, one of them wasn't feeling well. 
and had a headache and some ear pain. And they went into the embassy clinic and they mentioned, they made a comment like, oh, but it felt like somebody was pointing some kind of beam at my head. And then that got reported to the head of the embassy. And the next thing you know, it spread like wildfire through the American embassy. And it was also spread to the Canadian embassy as well. Um, they worked very closely together and they shared that information. It's very clear in uh, documents that have been released. And, um, you know, so the interesting thing here to me is why in the world would anyone who hears a uh, high-pitched tinnitus-like sound and has some ear pain believe that they're being targeted with some type of, at the time, sonic uh, sound weapon? This just seems very odd. But you have to go back and you have to look at the context. Um, the idea that they were harassed made sense to them because there's this long history of Cuban agents harassing diplomats going back decades. All of the diplomats who were sent to the new embassy in Havana in 2015 had been told, be aware that once they got there, this happened after 2016, but when they got in there and once they were there and this first started, they were all uh, counseled about it. And during the Cold War, Cuban agents were notorious for harassing American diplomats. They would uh, sneak into houses when they slept, open up all the windows so their house would be filled with mosquitoes. They would rearrange furniture, kind of like their calling card when you woke up, just to let them know that you know, you're being watched. There were cases where they'd have cigarette butts on the kitchen table and they didn't smoke. Or there'd be dog poo or cat poo on the kitchen floor and they don't have a pet. That's interesting. That was, That's what targeted individuals refer to as stalking, organized stalking. Yeah, well, that was definitely going on in Cuba prior to the embassy being open. It's well known, but it was relatively low level. You would park your car somewhere, and then somebody would come in because they're following you. They'd park within like an inch of you, so you can't back out. Now you're stuck there the whole day, and you have to wait for them to leave. They would do this as a form of harassment. And there are reports in Washington of similar things being done with uh, Cuban staff as well. So it's kind of a tit for tat thing that right. was going on. So let's talk about the mechanics of mass hysteria. Why are we so susceptible? I think you wrote that it is, it's almost like the opposite of the placebo effect. Yeah, that's right. Think of mass psychogenic illness as the placebo effect in reverse. Now, there's the placebo effect where if, if I give you a sugar pill and tell you you're going to feel better, often you will. It's the power of belief. It's the power of positive thinking. Now, it's not going to cure cancer, but it can have a very strong effect on the body. But you also get the negative effect there, which is known in psychology as the nocebo effect. For instance, if... I were to give you, I don't know, a piece of candy. And then your producer quickly emailed you and said, oh my God, that candy he just gave you. I just saw online, it, it may have been contaminated with poison. There's a, a reasonable chance that within a few minutes, you might start getting a headache, stomach pain, nausea, you might even vomit. But there's nothing physically wrong with you. Think of it as a software problem, an overstimulation of your nervous system. And it typically reflects the event scenario. So 
if you think you've eaten tainted food, you're more likely to have stomach upset and nausea. If you think you're smelling something that's toxic, you're more likely to have tearing and things like this. It's very common. I mean, there was a case in New Zealand a few years ago at this popular shopping center where somebody opened up the bathroom door and they found this guy laying on the floor, unresponsive. They called the medics, they rushed there, they opened the door and they were hit by these fumes. And they became unwell as well. And they dragged everybody out of the bathroom and got them to the hospital. On the way to the hospital, the guy that they initially found unconscious came to. And he said, oh, I'm really sorry. I OD'd on morphine. So what was the smell these people were smelling? Well, it's the bathroom smell. You know, you go into a bathroom and soon after they've cleaned it and you can smell chemicals. But if you, you open up the bathroom door and you see a guy laying there and you smell this heavy smell, they added one and one together and assumed that that was why he'd passed out. And then it started affecting them. Remarkable. You mentioned an epidemiological study. I thought that such a study would be reserved for an organic disease. Is mass hysteria, does it have virus-like characteristics in that it is a contagion that can spread? Well, with mass psychogenic illness, mass hysteria, the contagion that spreads is the belief. And it needs to be plausible. And the example I always like to give is the War of the Worlds scare in October 30th of 1938. People always like to talk about how over a million Americans were frightened. Uh, Not that many panicked, but a number of them were frightened. During that broadcast, they reported that these Martians on these giant 25 to 30 foot metallic tripods were firing heat rays and poison gas in the vicinity of southern New York and northern New Jersey. Well, There are a number of cases that have been documented where people called the police and they said they could feel the heat rays that were being described on the radio, that they could smell the poison gas and they're actually choking and shoving rags under their doors and in keyholes. It's very powerful. Human perception as well. The epicenter of the War of the World scare on October 30th, 1938, was the tiny community of Grover's Mill in northern New Jersey. Right. Well, what's interesting there is it was very foggy that night. Sorry, Robert, and, uh, pardon the interruption. I've got to take a time out here. We'll pick up on uh, that story, War of the Worlds, when we come back. Dr. Robert Bartholomew, medical sociologist, the author of Havana Syndrome, Mass Hysteria in Schools, and uh, many, many other uh, books. Back with more. Don't go away. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Robert Bartholomew, medical sociologist, my guest, and we're talking about mass hysteria in the case of Havana Syndrome, but also uh, other instances, and we were talking about uh, Mercury Theater's 1938 radio drama based on H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, and... um, the epicenter of this, of course, Grover's Mills. Is it Grover's Mills? Grove's Mills, New Jersey, Robert? Grover's Mill. Grover's it's an unusual Mill. name. Right. So anyway, in the evening, it was very foggy where they said the Martians had landed. And a group of local residents came out with shotguns. 
and there was a report in one of the area papers that they fired on what they thought was uh, like one of the Martians, like 25 feet up in the air, as described on the radio. And in the morning, they reportedly found some bullet holes in the local water tower. Wow. <laughs> I can't um, confirm that, but right. that was the report. So when we're talking about mass hysteria, as you described it, it almost sounds like, I mean, if someone wanted to deliberately create mass hysteria, there's a term we use in this business called gaslighting. When you manipulate someone through psychological means, you get them to question their own sanity, right? So when someone's gaslighting you, you start to second guess yourself, your memories, your perceptions. Uh, Is there a relationship? Am I am am I getting this correctly? I mean, gaslighting is is a similar way. I mean, you could use a gaslighting technique to cause mass hysteria, right? Absolutely. It's all about plausibility and it helps to have a pre-existing belief before that happens. And it just makes it uh, so much uh, easier. And look, many people don't realize that uh, they say, well, this is a unique novel syndrome. It's never happened in the history of the world. One of the JAMA articles that essentially said that it was a novel syndrome. Are we to believe that there's a novel syndrome that's never been recorded um, or that this is a well-known phenomenon that has been going on for millennia? And I'll give you a good example. I mean, people say, well, is there ever been a case of mass hysteria involving uh, sound? Sure. If you go back to uh, the 1760s, Benjamin Franklin, the American inventor, uh, came out with this new musical instrument. Now, around that time, people used to go out and give concerts with glasses of water filled with different heights. And they would wet their fingers and they would make it have a high-pitched sound. Um, That was very popular back then in the middle part of the 1700s. Well, Franklin saw that, and he invented this device that had this turning wheel, and it had these glass um, discs, and they were on this shaft driven by a flywheel. And so what you do, you wet your fingers, and as the glass discs spin around, it makes this high-pitched, almost like a a 1950s grade B movie uh, with a flying saucer type sound and uh, very eerie. Many people believe when that device was first invented and he started making more of them and it started to, people started to do tours of them. Hundreds of people uh, started to reproduce the instrument and make it. Well, word spread very quickly that if you went to a concert, it could cure your ills. And people in the audience were reporting being cured of various uh, ailments. Then, in around, well, late 18, uh, late 1780s, um, you started people, um, two prominent players of this instrument became unwell, and it was reported in the news. Then people started thinking, ooh, maybe this instrument is making people unwell. All of a sudden, it went from a placebo, listening to it, to a nocebo, because the rumor started and spread across America and Europe, 
that now instead of making you feel better, it was making you sick. And people were going to concerts, women were fainting. Um, people were blaming it on all sorts of ailments. And there's another interesting example, and that's telephone sickness. During the early decades of the telephone in the 1800s, many operators reported symptoms very similar to Havana syndrome. And it was believed to have been caused by exposure to these crackling noises that they would hear on the phone line. This was very common. It went on for decades. And they would report that it was debilitating. They couldn't go on. And it, and it was believed it was because it was some kind of electric sound that was created over a wire. You know, and the same thing happened um, with ice cubes when refrigerators first came out and freezers. Uh, there were reports of people getting ill because there was a common belief at the time that it was the ice was artificially made. So somehow it's uh, tainted. And so people were reporting getting ill from the ice cubes. And there was no evidence ever found that they were getting ill from the from the ice cubes. And you know, you get case after case similar to this. And of course you got the famous hum, right? The Windsor, Ontario hum. Yes, yes. Listen, we're, uh, Robert, I got to take another time out here. We'll uh, we'll talk about the hum and uh, the mysterious hiccuping uh, cases back in 2012 in northeastern northeastern Massachusetts. Uh, Robert E. Bartholomew, Ph.D., stays with us as we talk about uh, mass hysteria, bizarre behavior, and much more. The Conspiracy Show continues right after these. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarin. All right, if you've gathered in the YouTube live chat, the YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and uh, welcome all, incidentally. If you've gathered there and you have a question for Robert E. Bartholomew, uh, let us know, and my live stream producer, Ryan, will uh, curate those, I suppose, and uh, put those in the message here for me so I can read those. I will also take questions, of course. Uh, the old-fashioned way, 416-360-0740 from the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740 and toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, 1-866-740-4740. Uh, Robert, let's talk about another case of which you've uh, labeled mass hysteria. Uh, this involved 24 students in high schools in northeastern Massachusetts back in 2012. Uh, they started hiccuping. That's right. And the more I looked into that case, it became clear they weren't hiccuping. They were suffering from vocal tics, but it was reported in the media and by the health department that they were like uh, hiccuping. But it's not. It's a vocal tic. Uh, young people can get vocal tics. But the type of vocal tic they had um, is very, very rare among girls, it's much more common among young boys. And it's extremely rare among teenage girls to the point where you had what something like 17 teenage girls all having these hiccup-like symptoms. So for example, they would be sitting there and somebody would say, well, I think that <clears throat> they couldn't continue and complete a sentence. 
They just, and it was happening with, with some students, they just couldn't complete even a single sentence. And it was not unlike what happened at Leroy High School in around 2011, 2012 in uh, Western New York. And so anyway, what I did was I looked at this and local paper in Salem asked me, they said, well, what do you think this case is? And they, I was looking at all the evidence and I said, I really think that uh, the most likely explanation for this is mass psychogenic illness. And I said, ask the health department what they think of that. And they, they came back and they said, it's definitely not mass psychogenic illness. Okay, fine. I filed for about 700 US dollars worth of Freedom of Information Act documents. And within three hours of receiving them, it was very clear that the Massachusetts Department of Public Health had misled the public. And they had a, uh, a consultant from Harvard University who they asked what he thought and to write up a report. He wrote up a report. In that report, which was never released to the public, he said, I can eliminate every known cause but one, mass psychogenic illness. They, they lied about it. And uh, every opportunity I get, I like to uh, make them aware of that. And uh, I just think it's not necessary. Now, why would they lie about it? Because health departments have a history of not coming out with diagnoses around mass psychogenic illness, even though they, they believe it is, like the Leroy case in 2011, the New York State Health Department concluded it was mass psychogenic illness, but they kept that from the public for a while until one of the neurologists leaked it and they said, yeah, yeah, we, we concluded it was mass psychogenic illness. Um, because of the stigma that's attached to the diagnosis and there's a lot of public uh, brouhaha about it, right? Um, and there's controversy about it and they don't want the backlash that you often receive from those uh, diagnoses. But um, I'm unconfident it was mass psychogenic illness. All right. Um, I'm going to go to the YouTube live chat here. Some questions. Sigma6 asks, uh, what does Dr. Bart think about how much hysteria of the current pandemic is being created in people's minds? Here's the thing. People ask me about mass hysteria, and there's two categories. There's mass hysteria, mass psychogenic illness, and then there's social panics. And I think you have to separate the two. A social panic is like what happened during World War I in the Ottawa-Toronto area, where there was a belief that German Americans sympathetic to the Kaiser were flying reconnaissance missions over Canada and the capital in Ottawa as a prelude to dropping bombs or an invasion. Why would they do that? Because America hadn't joined the war, but Canada already had. That was a huge thing. I document that in a couple of my books, including the one on uh, little green man meowing nuds and headhunting panics. In great detail, it's a really good example. And people were seeing mysterious lights in the sky and thinking they were airplanes. And they had um, sentries posted all over Ottawa on top of the buildings um, to stop any uh, attacks, potentially, and um, to fire on planes if they got low. Um, so that would be a social panic, but it wouldn't be a mass psychogenic illness. Mass psychogenic illness 
is the rapid spread of illness signs and symptoms for which there's no plausible organic etiology. What does that mean? It means there's no underlying physiological cause in your body for the symptoms. And if you go talk to any neurologist, they will tell you that about one in every three patients who they see presents with a functional neurological disorder. There's no physiological reason for the illness. It's driven by things like anxiety. Would that include fibromyalgia? That's a controversial diagnosis. I'm skeptical of fibromyalgia. I'm skeptical of Gulf War syndrome because you have to look at it as an aggregate. Yeah, there might be people that have suffered from depleted uranium. There might be people from World War, um, well, the Vietnam War, who suffered from some things from Agent Orange. But when you look at the symptoms, very interesting observation. The symptoms of Havana syndrome are very similar to combat stress syndrome. Now, combat stress syndrome is, um, well, first really reported um, in World War I as shell shock, right? And it was widely believed that artillery shells, which had recently been developed, the shock waves from them were causing brain damage in patients. And then they realized after a while that many of the patients had been nowhere near an exploding artillery shell. So then they started to come up with really exotic explanations like, well, maybe it's caused by bullets whizzing near their brains, causing tiny micro tears and hemorrhaging. And eventually, doctors reached a consensus in World War I that shell shock was caused by the trauma of war. And if you go back and look at every major war since the advent of modern medicine from the American Civil War, you'll have similar clusters of returning veterans with symptoms very similar to Havana syndrome. During the American Civil War, it was DaCosta syndrome. During World War I, it was combat stress syndrome. During World War II, um, it was reported there. During the um, Vietnam War, it was post-traumatic stress disorder. During the Gulf War, it was Gulf War syndrome. And the symptoms of Gulf War syndrome are very similar to Havana syndrome. But many of the victims, even though report, they report concussions without a concussion, were nowhere near an exploding artillery shell. I believe we're looking at a similar phenomena, just a different cultural backdrop. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. We just have a couple of minutes here before we break at the top of the hour, but I just want to get back to Sigma Six's original question about mass hysteria and the current pandemic. So let's uh, let's park the term mass hysteria and call it social panic. Do you think that although COVID is real and people have died and people are suffering and people get sick, uh, that the media has created, considering the survival rates, so for example, uh, young children, you know, wearing masks, age of five, uh, very low viral loads. If they get sick, it's like a common cold. More children die from influenza in a moderate influenza year than they do from, from COVID and so forth. That the media has created a social panic around COVID. That's right. Absolutely. And the problem is the media is often not vetted. Some of these social media outlets. I mean, 
according to my brother, you have an excellent program. You know, the Coast program does a pretty good job of, of presenting alternative views. The mainstream media does a pretty good job of promoting alternative views. Uh, although there's one media outlet that I, I would not be too happy with, I'm going to mention. But it's all about giving both sides and giving an accurate uh, description. I mean, I could get the second jab. I'm due to get it on Thursday and get myocarditis and die. I'm hoping I don't. Um, but the statistical odds of that are very low. And by the way, the studies are showing that if you get COVID, you're 10 more times likely to uh, either die or get the myocarditis, the inflammation of the, the heart muscle. So I just think it's far better to take your chances with the vaccine than with COVID. Right. Let's take another time out. We'll come back. Dr. Uh, Bartholomew stays with us for the full two hours. As we discuss mass hysteria, we'll get into some bizarre behaviors as well coming up in the second half. Stay with us.